Shot Reverse Shot. Uh, I'm Matt Risby, evening, and joining me as always via the miracle of satellite technology, he was dead, but he got better. It's Ed Davis. How the devil are you, sir? Uh, I'm very well. I'm going to say that that is... Uh, it sounds like Monty Python, but that might be too obvious. Oh, um, I'm going to say Little Nicky. No, no. It's uh, a better film than that. In fact, probably one of the best films ever made it's a crank to high voltage <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean that's a great fucking tagline yeah we've uh had the oscars uh with the, the interruption of uh, the x-files episode last week with uh lovely special guests um and that was all good but uh we had the oscars in between uh how do we do with our predictions ed well we just tallied them up and we got a dead heat we were matched up on a lot of the similar things like we both kind of got uh actress right and actor and director but then we incorrectly guessed some of the technical categories which meant that we ended up drawing which is annoying because that means you know i mean there's no prize other than hum- humiliation yeah um, but yeah we both have to just be happy with the fact that i think if we had pulled our efforts we probably would have got like 23 out of 24 of them right mm, yeah but I think it's funny, like when the when the results came in, it was like any of the predictions that I put any kind of forethought into with films that I'd seen and liked and had an opinion on and knew the other kind of how strong they were in their individual categories, I got wrong. And mm-hmm. the ones I guessed randomly for films I hadn't seen or in categories that I'd uh, not really seen any of, the, the, those are the ones I tended to be a bit better on, which probably goes to prove some kind of point i'm just not sure what it is yeah i was uh, watching it and and kind of live tweeting it as we went along and i thought it was a a very boring night in general a lot of the stuff kind of went as i expected it, other than i uh, mad max fury road did a lot better than i thought it would be would do but then like the uh mark rylance winning best supporting came along and that was a big shock and then spotlight winning best picture was maybe I don't know if it's like one of the biggest upsets in years, but it was certainly based on the pre-show hype. Mm. Seemed like the most impossible thing to have ever happened, even though it's like, if you look at that slate, it is kind of such a perfect example of a film that should win Best Picture. Mm. Mm. And did you see Morgan Freeman's antics on stage when he announced oh, eating the a winner? Cookie. Yeah, <laughs> that was just awesome. Just a man who was up there. And he was just like, that person's got cookies. I'm just going to have one. I know this is the biggest moment of their entire career, but I could go for a cookie right now. I, I was very pleased with the fact that Morgan Freeman, one of the most respected actors in uh, you know, a cinema, American cinema today, was completely unable to hide his surprise when he read Spotlight <laughs> as, the, as the winner, which you know, usually they try and you know just kind of do it a bit neutral or maybe say something you're know, really excited if they're really happy for the result his was really like spotlight mm. yeah as if he uh he had read the wrong name a la allegedly marissa tomei yeah yeah jack Palance. um he could do the press-ups but he can't <laughs> read the right name in other uh well in other non-oscar news this week we've had a ghostbusters trailer haven't we which has seen the internet uh deeply divided between kind of those people who thought hey this looks quite fun and those people who thought, you know, this is ruining my childhood, which mm. says more about those people's childhoods than anything else. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't think it's a particularly hilarious trailer, mm. but I think it does what a first trailer should do, which is establish a tone and introduce you to the characters. And like my main caveat about it would probably be that it didn't feature enough Kate McKinnon, but like that's my main caveat about everything in life. Mm-hmm. so uh i that that was kind of a knock against it but i still thought that you know it did a good job of establishing all the characters and hopefully future trailers will you know be be better but i i also you know have to factor in that last year paul feig's film spy 
which I really loved and thought was really, really funny and, you know, really great comedy, had maybe one of the worst trailers in recent memory. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, yeah I concur on that one because you said Spy was good and mm-hmm. I was like, fuck off, that's not right. Because that looks <laughs> like bullshit. And I watched it and I laughed like a dream. It was yeah. very funny. So yeah, I'm kind of I have similar hopes for Ghostbusters. I was kind of uh, I thought I watched Ghostbusters, and I'm like, I really like all these people involved. Mm-hmm. There's not really anyone who is uh, on paper here that I don't enjoy. But my biggest problem was, and it's something we've talked about. Uh, it's getting to ad nauseum levels. Is that this is just Ghostbusters again? Like, yeah. it appears that they're trying very hard to. I don't know whether they're trying to appease fans who kind of think it's ruining their childhood by kind of throwing so much of the old stuff back on the screen or whether we really have it really was 30 years ago and uh we're just kind of doing it from scratch now because you know it's the biggest problem i had with Jurassic world uh amongst its many problems um it's, it's just the same film again uh didn't yeah, seem yeah. to be much else other than fan service in that trailer yeah it kind of falls into that it seems to fall into that uh, trap of being a legacy sequel to use the term mm-hmm. that we we talked about where it kind of is a follow-up and but it also just feels like an actual straight-up reboot and it, it it's kind of hard to tell from the trailer if it is an actual sequel because they say like 30 years ago but that doesn't necessarily have to be referring to the actual in fiction world of it it could be just a completely new setup with new characters which i'd be fine about but i think it, the thing that annoys me, and this is you know entirely down to marketing and, and less to do with filmmaking, is when they try and play a little coy about that. It's like, oh, it's a sequel or a remake. It could be both. It could be neither. You know, it's I'd, I'd be much happier if people had said, yeah, it's it's a straight up remake, and we're just you know doing it with a new set of characters and new comedic sensibility. Mm, mm. And speaking of misleading publicity, is a segue. Um, what are Warner Brothers playing out with some of the materials they're releasing for Batman vs Superman, which in certain lights makes it look like broke Batman in? Yeah, um, I, I sent you this this image, which is an image that was released this week from Batman vs Superman, which is Batman and Superman in the rain with Superman placing his hand on Batman's chest and. I think I I honestly don't know what is that is meant to indi- indicate other than complete and utter tenderness because mm. that it, seems to be the vibe I'm getting from it. Yeah, it made me think of the bit in uh, Dirty Dancing where he's going gugung gugung gugung, and I think that that's kind of what it makes it. It makes it like the Notebook version mm. of the, of that story, which, to be honest, I'm, I'd be more interested in than the kind of grim faced, dark, violent spectacle that they are apparently weaving out. It does make me think that Zack Snyder is kind of returning to form because obviously he kind of became a major talent with the success of 300, which was the kind of the greatest collection of homoerotic images outside of the entire body of work of Tom of Finland. Mm. And this kind of feels, that image just kind of suggests that maybe he has uh, let whatever kind of id part of his id wants him to just kind of constantly photograph incredibly buff looking men kind of gently touching each other uh, and <laughs> allowed it to kind of play with trademarked DC property. Mm. I say the Tom of Finland reference. That's, I mean, that's fucking highbrow right there. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get that on the fucking slash film podcast, but also uh, just coming into something we've also talked about uh, again, reaching ad nauseum levels. I made a joke several weeks ago about Deadpool success uh, which is still going, by the way, everyone, about how that might, you know, might make people want to release R-rated versions of everything. And mm. Kel, surprise, uh, we're getting an R-rated cut of Superman versus Batman when it comes to Blu-ray. And I have to say, it's Superman versus Batman. Why on earth do we need an R-rated version of that? Yeah, it makes me wonder what the hell they could have actually shot that they just shot and thought, oh, no, we can't include this because it will make the film R-rated. It's like, did they have Batman just kind of, like, gunning people down? I mean, he does have a <laughs> shotgun in one of the trailers, but it, it seems a bit off-brand for him to just kind of be, you know, shooting people down with an AR-15 or whatever. Mm. Um, or, you know, was Superman, did he get a taste for breaking necks with Zod and now he's just kind of tearing people apart with his <laughs> bare hands? You know, that's you wouldn't shoot that if you were aiming to make a PG thirteen film. So it just makes me wonder if it's going to be 
they'll say it's r-rated but they'll just badly adr in like the people saying fuck every time you see the back of someone's head mm, yeah or you know, wonder woman's in this does she like have a strap on or something that she's kind of <laughs> starts wielding around i mean what what really i mean deadpool i can understand why that's r-rated that's kind of how it has to be it's a it's a kind of a slightly edgier comic you could say but Bat- batman versus superman come on now yeah, it it definitely doesn't feel in keeping with the characters or even the tone of... Because, like, Man of Steel, A, is awful, you know, just in case people don't know where we stand on that film after three years of us kind of bad-mouthing it every other week. But it's also, you know, for all its grimness, it's fairly tame in terms of its depiction of the, the violence. There's no blood. It's all kind of... There's, there's implied, you know, kind of um, genocide, really, on the part of... <laughs> superman but you don't see you don't really see that many people dying mm. uh, you know i think the idea of them then saying oh by the way we're going to do this with an r-rated version seems you know disingenuous because i don't know what they would they would go in knowing they're making a pg-13 film i don't know what they would shoot to make it r-rated mm. i think i've got an idea because i've just remembered that in the first film when they're on krypton mm. i believe with russell crowe and uh who's the woman who plays his mum uh, I can't. Remember. I want to say Juliet Binoche, but it's not. Yeah, um, I was going to say Rene Russo, but she's in Thor, playing essentially the same part. Yeah. Anyway, they send Superman off in a giant dick-shaped space rocket. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that makes a reappearance. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's how they beat uh, the big kind of troll cave troll thing that's in the trailer. Yeah, I was just trying to think, like you know, talking about 300 earlier. It's like I wonder how many other kind of homoerotic images crop up in Zack Snyder's work, and I'd forgotten about that. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to wonder if there were any of the owls in uh, Legend of the Guardians, whatever it was called, mm. Rise, uh, the Owls of Gahul, had any massive erections. They probably did, but you couldn't see because of the feathers. Yeah, well, they're owls, the filthy fuckers. <laughs> lastly in the news this week uh, is something that I'd like you to explain to me because I can't quite get my head around a new show about wine that's happening. Could you please uh, explain to me and the listeners at home uh, what the fuck? Well, this is something that, based on my Twitter feed, I think people seem to be very, very excited about. Um, but to me, it seems like the most insufferable thing that has ever been created <laughs> by man, which is a show that's going to air on a 13-part series that's going to air on ITV next year in which actors Matthew Good and Matthew Reese go around tasting wine together, which... Mm. Like I say, it sounds insufferable to me. Like I got thirty minutes in thirty minutes. I got thirty seconds into the trailer, and I just had to turn it off. I had such a violent reaction to the levels of middle class dickishness of it all. Um, as as someone who doesn't like to hear actors talk about anything other than acting, and don't even <laughs> like to hear actors talking about acting all that much, <laughs> who has no interest in wine culture and just finds that whole thing to be just so insufferable. Uh, you know, the idea of an entire 13-part series about it, a kind of a, a non-joke, non-satirical version of The Trip, starring two people who I love as actors. I love those guys. They're so, so good. But even just from the trailer, the kind of like the chumminess of it, the last time I had this kind of immediate kind of hate-filled reaction was when Downton Abbey first started. It's just like, nope, nothing about this is good for me. I'm going to have to just kind of leave it. Uh, but like it was, I found it very funny that that was my immediate reaction. And then on Twitter, everyone was like, oh, this is great. It's like someone's made a Tumblr post come to life. It's like, oh, that's why I hate it. <laughs> mm. See, when you describe it to me and me knowing what I know about the people involved, I'm kind of hoping for the trip mm-hmm. meets sideways. Yeah. But you're making it sound like that's not what I'm going to get. And I'm upset about that. Well, you would hope that it would be like a fictionalized thing as opposed to a documentary series about two actors who are perfectly charming people and I'm sure, like, you know, probably very fun to hang out with, just kind of constantly talking about wine and genuinely buying into the culture of people, you know, tasting wine and assessing its various kind of tones and flavors Mm. as opposed to what Sideways and, and The Trip do, which is to take that idea and just kind of puncture the pomposity of it and... Nothing about the trailer suggests that they're going to do anything than other than inflate the pomposity of it all. Yeah, yeah. If 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 they don't taste wine, uh, smell wine with a finger in their ear, I'm going to be deeply unhappy. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, it's it doesn't help that like you've got actors doing it, 
but it also doesn't help that it's generally impossible to talk in any detail about wine without sounding like an international bellend. <laughs> yeah, and especially like the fact that they are two kind of fairly successful actors, like they're obviously not kind of huge stars, but they're, they're people who make a living, just kind of adds to the sense that this is just kind of a self-indulgent kind of bit of kind of mental masturbation on their part you know it's the idea it's like oh you know we're two successful actors we can take a break and just go and make this little documentary series about drinking wine over 13 weeks you know it's just it, it that just, everything about it just kind of rubs me along the wrong way and in exactly the opposite way that it would happen if you pitched exactly that same um that same series and it was actually two like wine experts that you'd never heard of mm. Because that would be like, oh, I don't mind that because that's what they dedicated their life to. I may think it's a stupid thing to do with your life, but, you know, I can respect the fact that that's kind of their main interest as opposed to being like, oh, we'll just do this thing for ITV in between seasons of The Americans and now that Downton's wrapped up. Mm-hmm. And it, it would be weird to watch two wine experts like doing amateur theatre, for example. That would be <laughs> the flip side of it and it'd be stupid. I'm kind of hoping that, like they do nothing but be kind of isolated in a room together and just drink solidly. So by week seven, it's basically kind of shirtless men, bloodied and bruised, fighting with kind of like (laughs) half kind of cracked bottles of Merlot and like gouging each other's eyes out. That'd be the version if it was made by like BBC Scotland and just set in Dundee. (laughs) Well, they're looking for R-rated content now. So Mm. uh, possibly that's the way to do it. Anyway, folks, to the main point of our show tonight, which is something we've been promising for ages and not delivering because what awful people we are. But here is the redux of our piracy episode, which we did not expect to have uh, quite the strong reaction to from our listener base. Yeah, I mean, we obviously had our opinions and we we send them out there. And usually when we put episodes out, people will respond and say, they, they will kind of respond to particular jokes that we've made or particular ideas we kind of put forth or, or, you know, but this was very much a case that we touched on something that I think a lot of people deal with in their everyday life, people who pirate movies and TV shows and stuff, and as such uh, felt they needed to respond to to what we said and to offer their point of view um, separate from our point of view, which is that, you know, it's terrible and people shouldn't do it. Mm. And uh, we're going to be reading out a lot of stuff that people have sent in and we will be kind of uh, perhaps... Uh, paraphrasing a lot of things that people have said to us. Uh, But everyone's going to remain anonymous. Uh, Mm. The names have been uh, deleted to protect those innocent folk. But I'm going to start with quite a passionate email that was sent to us. And uh, it goes a little bit something like this. I thought I'd share my views on piracy as my entire working life has been affected by it one way or another, considering I've previously worked in a video shop which no longer exists and now work in a cinema. Basically, we are blessed to live in a time when our culture is more readily available to us than ever before, but we should pay for what we consume. People will try their hardest to justify it however they can, like saying, I buy enough movies already. Factors in the revenue the cinema has lost every time you decide to download a film and then pass it on to your mates. There seems to be a misunderstanding that it's not illegal because they're not the ones actually going into a cinema and recording it. Not true. It is illegal, and at least the guy who made that shitty recording bought a fucking ticket. When I worked in the video shop, we used to have to listen out for scumbags cracking the boxes open to get the DVDs from inside, and when someone starts telling me about the latest new release they've just downloaded, I hear the same crack. My concern is that although video shops were perhaps destined to die out due to advanced in technology, and were not an essential part of enjoying a movie to its full potential, cinemas are, and it would be a terrible shame to lose them. Well, that's a very articulate response, and I think does get to certainly some of my thinking about piracy, which has been affected by my experience of working in a cinema, which is that when you think about people downloading stuff, you know, when I would sit on the showroom box office and serve like three people over the course of an hour kind of thinking, and obviously we weren't showing, often weren't showing big high budget blockbusters and stuff who show smaller stuff which i think most people wouldn't think to steal but that stuff would still be available online you kind of think that if someone was going through the showroom listings and just decided oh um, this film's on this sounds interesting i'll just see if i can download it which i'm sure plenty of people did i know that people uh, when i was in uni that was fairly common was people would just download stuff and then not bother going to see stuff in the cinemas because they already had it just kind of thinking you know wow 
I could more readily justify my wages if more people were coming in and paying to actually uh, fill these kind of vast empty cinemas downstairs. Mm, yeah, that's an excellent point, and I would say a very articulate one. Also, I got a text message uh, from someone who quite kind of like eloquently stated it was it was a reaction to what I'd said in the show about uh, Game of Thrones about that needing to be or the the shows like that the only way to view a lot of things is to have a full subscription to uh, something like Sky which is expensive and, and impractical for people who want to perhaps manage their content a little kind of bit more piecemeal they're kind of premium packages that aren't invo- like the premium shows that aren't available on like the basic package as it were which is kind of cheap and affordable so I got a, a text message saying uh, well you know I feel that way so I pay for an entire Sky subscription and mm. it was very kind of eloquently put that they did that and then I received this text message following me afterwards I've seen Star Wars The Revenant Hateful Eight in the cinema recently but I downloaded Bridge of Spies I read the reviews watched the trailer and listened to the interviews then I decided I wasn't going to bother paying £8 to see it and saw there was an available as a pirate copy online, it'll end up on Netflix in a few months, which I pay for. So surely that's a victimless crime. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know where to begin with that. I mean, mm. firstly, there's the, the hypocrisy angle. I'm not calling this person hypocrite. I love them very much. And there is that element to it. But there's also what I think we've seen from a lot of people's responses is that a lot of people don't view it as a black and white issue, which is very strange. Yeah, because it is very much a case of I think the 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 kind of the comparison would be to something like you know the, the kind of the very the various kind of hazy legal areas that exist around uh, certain classifications of drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people view piracy as like smoking weed, which is to say that it's a very minor thing. A lot of people do it. If you get caught and you're not black, it probably won't be turned out badly for you. Wow, political. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's something that a lot of people kind of think, you know, why isn't this, you know, why isn't this legalized so that you can actually kind of pay for a thing and, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of legally and, and, you know, kind of tax it and things like that. Um, when I, it kind of, my point is it's more closer to something like, like heroin, which is a thing that is like absolutely illegal and kind of damaging in some ways. It's not necessarily damaging to an individual, but it is kind of damaging to kind of a broader industry. Um, but the, the, the difference there is, of course, that in this instance, to muddy the metaphor somewhat, the, the heroin is available kind of very cheaply, you know, even, not even just talking about, um, not even just talking about uh, going to the cinema and seeing things, you know, obviously cinema tickets are very expensive, but, you know, just the, the fact that, you know, if you want to see a film, you know, you can wait for it to be on Netflix or you can wait for it to be, wait for it to be available to rent from iTunes where it'll be over here. It's like $3, mm-hmm. which to me, like, seems like a very reasonable price to pay if there was a film that came out and I thought, I don't really want to see it uh, in the cinema. I don't feel like it would be worth my time, but, you know, it, it's something that, I might be interested in seeing just because for completion at the end of the year for awards consideration or, you know, a film where I just look at it like something like blue ruin where I look at it and think that's never going to play in a cinema near me. That is, there's no chance that I will get to see that in a cinema, but it's available on iTunes, like not too long after it comes out. So I'll happily pay $3 for that because I really, really want to see it. And, you know, with Apple TV and stuff, you can actually watch it on a decent sized screen. Hmm. Absolutely. This further conversation led to a very strange back and forth about what technically is and isn't piracy. And it led to this point where like, I actually ended up getting confused myself because (laughs) there was a question of someone wanting to borrow the Grand Budapest Hotel off Mm. their friend on DVD. Now that is perfectly legit, right? We're okay to this point. That person was supposed to bring it into work on that day and forgot. So the evening when this uh, uh, person C, uh, should we say, wanted to watch uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, they torrented it on the basis that they do actually genuinely have legitimate, legal, free access to the DVD from their friend. They just didn't have it in their hand. So they torrented it. And then I got very confused at that point. Because technically that is illegal, but mm-hmm. then but then they've already got the access to it, so they kind of would have not paid for it anyway. 
but still that doesn't make much sense to me yeah it's a very it's a very weird situation that because yeah obviously they there isn't a legal way it really is just a case of deciding that you're going to commit what is essentially a crime but you know essentially as if to say that it's not like legally legally punishable by various fines and prison time because you're not willing to wait an extra day Mm -hmm. which i think gets to a point that we made in the previous episode which is a lot of the justifications for doing these sort of things is usually just the kind of the time restraints like for, for downloading tv it's like you want to be part of the current conversation you don't want to have to pay for a sky subscription or hbo subscription or you know insert your kind of provider here so you'll download it illegally because you don't want to have to wait for the box set to come out and everything to have been spoiled for you already because of facebook posts and twitter and things like that Mm -hmm. and you know that's kind of that's that's and that desire to want to be part of the conversation is understandable and it's very powerful i can see why that would drive people to want to, to to pirate things but that still doesn't mean that what you're doing is not kind of even if it on a very small individual level in kind of a, you know, in a wider sense is very harmful because if lots of people are doing this thing, then, you know, a lot of people are losing money and, and not even just, you know, corporations and things like that who I don't care about if they lose money. But the fact is the corporations lose money, the artists can't make the art mm. um, because that's the system that has been constructed and it's not a perfect system is not even a particularly good system but it's the system we have that allows something huge and ambitious like like that to be made or you know for something like game of thrones to kind of bankroll smaller auteur projects like a girls or a or, or a togetherness mm, mm, absolutely also thrown into the mix uh was the idea of uh speaking of hbo um the show last week tonight mm-hmm. uh with john oliver a show that obviously a lot of people pirate because it's not really shown over in the UK a lot, but the majority of each episode is posted by HBO onto YouTube. Mm. Very shortly after the broadcast date, everyone kind of saw the 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 twenty minute Donald Trump uh, takedown from last week. I watched that. I mean, how long is uh, uh, last week? Uh, next week tonight? The episodes are about thirty minutes. Well, The Guardian posted 21 minutes of that episode on their website and the rest of it was on YouTube. So would it matter if you pirated that? Probably not so much, but I think it varies from show to show. And I think the thing with Last Week Tonight is that it is a show that is timely. It's not a show that really they expect people to catch up on. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there wouldn't be, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for people to kind of watch an episode now and then think, oh, I need to watch the first two seasons to catch up because you should, you should know these things from the news, Yeah, you know, and, and, and that's why they have no compunctions about putting them up online because, you know, it's very kind of ephemeral and, you know, it's, it's the reason why um, the daily show used to, I mean, that's why the episodes of the daily show stream off the comedy central website. And as far as I'm aware, you don't need to pay or have any sort of membership and you used to be able to watch it in the UK before they blocked it like a bunch of dicks mm-hmm. um, because no one shows it there anymore. And, you know, it is kind of, is, is, is very specific to that show. And, and also, you know, it's worth pointing out that the amount of people who watch the show on YouTube greatly, it is is greatly larger than the number of people who actually watch it live. That's a show that gets, you know, maybe a million viewers every, a week. But the, that Donald Trump piece at the time we're recording has been viewed nearly twenty million times, mm-hmm. and that's the big, that's the most successful video they've ever put out. But even like their less successful ones, you're still looking at five, five to eight million views on YouTube, which is, you know, kind of uh, drastically bigger than what than it gets seen on. Um, uh, on uh, on the actual HBO and there, what HBO want is they want engagement, they want press, they want people to write articles about the show and to just kind of get the word work out there. Um, there and and maybe in kind of some trickle down sense that will get them more subscribers. But that's the sort of show where they're really more interested in the prestige that comes with having a show that literally everyone is talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was very surprised when hearing uh, listener feedback, um, just the range of people uh, who I personally encountered who uh, unapologetically pirate films, mm. um, again, naming no names. I have compiled uh, three kind of separate lists uh, of people who I can put into categories of uh, film bloggers. So people who 
kind of uh, appointed themselves in some way kind of like uh, arbiters of, of cultural taste in film who have the privilege of going to press screenings and doing things like that who have told me they pirate and uh, we had this earlier this year didn't we with the there was a big kind of hoo-ha online about the night of cups because uh, it was it was in somewhere it was it was available on dvd somewhere before it was released in the cinema and therefore there was a torrent of it floating around and was it was it matt zola seist who said there was he was that's what started this whole what this whole conversation off wasn't it yeah it was the film is available on blu-ray in germany or at least that's where I, my my copy is from because as soon as i found out that it was available i thought you know i don't have a clue when that film is going to actually come out mm. so i want to have a, a way of seeing it so i i paid to to order a copy and then yeah obviously it leaked out and a lot of people who were obviously very excited about the fact that there's a new terence malick film out and and i think driven in part by the fact that there was a great deal of uncertainty about it you know mm. it's a film that had been in post-production in editing for like two years which is not uncommon for a Terence Malick picture and it was the, basically there was no set release date for a very long time people knew that it was finished more or less and they knew that it was going to come out but no one knew when it it would actually arrive and I feel like if people had known when it was going to come out they, those people probably wouldn't have leapt at the opportunity but that that uncertainty probably was what prompted them to think you know this is okay because i may never get to see this mm. which doesn't mean it is okay but you can see the logic yeah yeah yeah. i mean that's the thing is like a lot of this we can see the logic mm-hmm. but that doesn't make it kind of right also in the categories of people that i'm very surprised to see uh pulling off this kind of caper People that I group together in a group that I call Total Squares, uh, <laughs> people who generally live on the right side of the law. That yeah. uh, if you gave the uh, smoking weed argument towards them, they would perhaps uh, kind of reach for the quinoa and be uh, kind of uh, slightly offended that they would lower themselves to such standards. But when it comes to piracy, not fucking bothered. It. I think. What age are you kind of talking about? Obviously, talking very generally. Are they yes. our age or a bit kind of older? Well, when you say our age, that's very misleading. Uh, your age and my age, Ed, <laughs> I would okay. say. So, so uh, 20s and 30s. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that that doesn't strike me that surprisingly. I would very be very surprised if it was people kind of in, I'm sure people in their 40s and 50s do do it, but I imagine it's probably most prevalent amongst our generation because, because we kind of grew up with, you know napster was obviously the big thing when i was kind of a young teenager everyone was downloading music incredibly slowly it has to be said but they were downloading music from from napster and things like that and that was obviously and and then the pirate bay um and, and there was kind of an outlaw mystique to it the fact that you had access to all the music that had ever existed at your fingertips and you could kind of download it illegally and that uh, obviously you know kind of crippled the music industry to the extent that uh you know album physical music sales have now declined to kind of laughable levels for you know, when you look at like what albums become number one and things like that unless it's an adele album um and i think that that from an if you see that from a young age the idea is like oh my god all these people are doing this and they have access to all this amazing art and also by downloading this amazing art we are taking down these kind of big corrupt terrible organizations then it's got to be great but then uh when you like and also it's different with music because you can make the argument well most musicians make more money from performing than they do from album sales because contracts are terrible and things like that but you know when you do speak and that that's why i think there is a kind of a sharper divide between uh different musicians than maybe there is for filmmakers because i think most filmmakers would say no, I don't want you to pirate my stuff. I would prefer for you to see it in a cinema because that's how it's meant to be seen and because I would make money from it. Whereas I think a lot, there's a lot of artists, like I think you said the guy from Tame Impala was just like, hey man, you know, just just download it. As long as people hear it, it's great. Um, whereas a lot of a lot of other people would be like, no, you need to pay me <laughs> because I would have no way of feeding myself if you didn't pay for my music. Mm-hmm. That actually is a nice segue uh, into the next group of people that I was very surprised uh, to hear talking so openly and unapologetically about pirating movies, which are filmmakers. 
and mm. people who work on films. I have done a bit of film in my time. And uh, yeah, I spoke to some people who I've worked on kind of big films with, like in, in Cruise, you know, this kind of the uh, the oily rags of the uh, the film sets, you know, your kind of uh, your camera assistants and your grips and your props and your people like that. And uh, yeah, absolutely fine with it. I spoke to someone who uh, is an award-winning filmmaker who won mm. a big award, a big film festival. And they were like, yeah. I haven't paid for a film in years. And when I kind of asked the inevitable question, well, what would happen if, you know, you found out that someone had pirated your film, they gave me the Tame Impala defence, as we'll mm. call it, which was that, which is fine if, you know, that, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it was, I was very surprised by that. I thought that out of all of those three groups, the film bloggers, the squares and the filmmakers, that they would be the least likely group of people to uh, to to bust that kind of shit out on me. Uh, yeah, that surprises me. But also, when you think of filmmakers, most filmmakers probably don't make a huge amount of money in general, depending on the kind of films you make. But I don't think that I think there is kind of a, a kind of a fairly broad strata of different kinds of filmmakers. And some, you know, you may not make a huge amount of money, so you can't afford to fly around the world to go to film festivals. You may not even be afford, able to afford really to see that many films so you know if you want to engage with the culture and the industry that you have you've made yourself a part of and to kind of see what other people are doing and to expand your knowledge base and your your uh selection of inspirations for the art that you create i could see piracy being a very kind of attractive way of doing that especially because you don't have the means to kind of educate yourself more but you do have, uh, so you kind of take an option that allows you to do that, but which doesn't kind of cause you to make the, the the choice between, you know, seeing art and kind of expanding your mind and, um, you know, feeding yourself and paying your bills. Mm. Well, then doesn't that logic extend to just anyone who's poor? It does. Uh, the, but you know, the, 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 the kind of high-minded argument if you wanted to make it. And I don't I don't agree with this. I am to an extent paying devil's advocates here is that, you know, it's kind of taking doing something that is necessary for your future work as opposed to someone who downloads is, you know, the downloads like the witch and just kind of watches and says, yeah, it was shit. Mm. And then isn't gonna isn't gonna do anything with the experience of having watched it other than to say, oh it's shit. Mm. You know, they're not going to to use that to kind of say, oh, why was it shit? You know, how would I make it if I was a filmmaker? Or they're going to be like, that was amazing. I want to make my own version of that. You know, I think that that, that is that is a different experience of piracy and a different reason for piracy, which I still don't agree with because I do think, again, you should pay these things. Like I'm friends with, you know, like, yeah, I'm, both of us, you know, we're friends with artists and I, my friendship with, with artists makes me think I really want to, pay for art because i want artists to get paid and to be able to make more of it you know i've got friends who um uh, you know kind of like visual designers and things like that whose work has been stolen you know people have stolen their designs and sold it as their own Mm. and seeing the anguish that that causes them because they've put time into these designs and into creating this thing and someone else is profiting from it um is kind of heartbreaking and i don't want to be I don't want to cause that to happen to someone, even if it's in a very abstract, very distant sense. Mm, mm. I think that's what makes people uh, more willing to go through with it is because it is abstract. The, the, mm. the like you said about the Mindy Kaling stand-up where she was saying, you know, you wouldn't, you would steal a car if the person whose car you stole got to keep a copy of their car, mm-hmm. and no one came after you for stealing the car. Yeah, <laughs> and it was generally untraceable. I think what is abundantly clear from this is i definitely would like to see piracy stamped out but i'd also like to see uh distributors and studios and uh, art makers kind of try and learn the lesson of uh, why so many people do this why so many groups of people who can afford to pay for it choose not to and i'd like to see release windows shortened uh, for example while we are recording this podcast season five or six sorry i think it's six actually season six of parks and recreation is now airing on british television (laughs) at 10 to 2 on a sunday night 
Like, that is kind of unacceptable in the sense that, like, I mean, why is that even a necessary thing to happen now? With all the distribution channels that are open, do the makers of Parks and Recreation want that to be seen by, essentially, me and other people who are up who don't work Mondays uh, on a kind of a Sunday evening? It's fucking ludicrous that that is... That is, you know, that is even a thing now. Season six aired three years ago. It's crazy that that happens. Why not make that window shorter? It doesn't affect anything. The DVDs haven't even been released yet over here uh, for all of the seasons. I mean, that's crazy. I'd like to see the the kind of piracy boom because it is a boom. So many people are doing it, and mm. so many people across all walks of life, uh, for whatever reason they're trying to justify it, are doing it. And I just, I just think it, it. It really needs to guide distribution because I definitely think not everyone. I think there will always be people who will, don't want to pay for it and will always like nick it if it's available. But there's a huge quantity of people who will engage with the content if it's offered in the right way at the right price. Yeah, I think the example of the music industry is very informative in all of this because obviously the problem with the, the music industry was that they took their immediate response was to try and sue people and um i don't know if that ever actually solved anything it didn't certainly didn't stop people pirating and i don't think anyone who was sued was really like you know you're not really going to get a huge amount of money out of sometimes 13 year old in dayton ohio you know it's it, so it's, it's very ineffective to go after people through the legal means and by the time anyone came up with an actual kind of alternative to piracy that gives people the experience of piracy but you know, isn't actually illegal, which is something like um, Apple Music and Spotify or, or Last FM. Um, you know, that the, the damage had already been done. The music industry had been irreparably damaged and will never, ever recover. Um, so I think that the film industry and the TV industry, TV has responded to it slightly better because obviously you have Hulu, which airs programs the day after they air. So if you don't see it or you don't have DBR, you can pay, you know, ten dollars a month, fifteen dollars if you don't want ads, and you can watch it. And you know, people get money off of it in some kind of abstract way. Um, and you have the ready access to the art there. And you know, not for all time because they take stuff away after a few weeks in some cases. But the fact is, it's there. And obviously, HBO kind of took a big leap of making HBO Go available to people who aren't subscribers. So people are television I think is is found is finding ways to kind of respond to this in ways that mitigate it a lot. Not enough that, you know, ratings aren't in free fall and that the idea of the kind of the mass monoculture has probably pretty much vanished at this point. But they are taking steps and, and the film industry is the one that seems to be kind of following the music industry model uh in in the kind of the big studios i think that a lot of smaller studios um a24 and things or distributors like a24 and, and things like that are looking at the and saying okay what can we do in terms of you know day and date releasing we can have a, a film play in cinemas for a little while and then a month later have it available to download which kind of makes which which makes sense um, as a as a step forward, and and a lot of films do get released in both. Like uh, a field in England was kind of a famous example in the UK of a film that opened was available on DVD on uh, home media and in cinemas on the same day. And you kind of think that maybe that will never happen with big films because they want to break opening weekend records and have a big kind of splashy thing that you can put across a variety of a you know of a headline, but. You know, if if kind of medium level releases and small releases can follow that model, maybe it's the best way for these companies to actually make money and to kind of nip pir- some of the piracy in the bud. Obviously, not all of it. Like you say, some people will always pirate, mm-hmm. but if you can offer people a legal alternative that's kind of cheap and effective, I think a lot of people will go for it, and a lot of people are going for it. But more people will go for it if the options are, are available to more people and for more films. Yeah, absolutely. That is uh, very well said and a decent place uh, to leave this argument. And uh, please don't send us any more stuff uh, <laughs> because we can't do a community and do five episodes on one thing. So, yeah, that's that's piracy solved, Ed. I think we did it. Yeah, we've certainly talked around it a lot. Mm. And I think talking around a thing is, is, in, is for long enough is equivalent to a solution as we've learned with climate change. Mm, absolutely. Let's do some recommendations uh, this week. What have you got, Ed? I'm going to recommend a web series 
which is the BBC Scotland web series Video Gaiden. Ah, oh, Video Gaiden. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, Video Gaiden was a show that aired uh, mainly on the BBC Scotland website and also, I think, for one series on actual BBC Scotland, created by Rob Fl- Florence and Ryan McLeod uh, in the mid-2000s. They aired for three, They did three seasons of that, and it was kind of a... Sorry, three series of that. Sorry, I've been in America too long. Uh, uh, and it was kind of an extension of a show they had been doing independently on online called Consolvania, which was kind of very kind of pure, pure prurient and passionate and immensely funny and and the, uh, video garden was kind of like the kind of slightly sleeker version of it but they're, they're back now after a long uh hiatus caused by the fact that i think they both got burnt out on reviewing video games for tv and also because uh, as alluded to in the first new episode they had a bit of a falling out and things seem to be patched up now and they're back and it's great, you know, it's a show about video games and also board games now, which I know is, is something you and some of our listeners are very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a show that's incredibly smart, incredibly funny, uh, you know, exceptionally well produced and incredibly passionate about their chosen subject matter. And they tackle video games and board games with kind of real relish. And uh, it's just fantastic to have those guys back, even if as the first in- episode indicates they're having kind of uh, midlife crises is the fact that they're now kind of 30 year old guys talking about video games but um, i'm i'm delighted to have them back mm, yeah and it's uh, for someone like me who doesn't play a lot of video games but i enjoy uh the the kind of discourse and discussion about video games i feel like i'm someone who knows a lot about video games but doesn't mm. actually play any video games uh i love that show it's really fun and like i watched it this week and i downloaded uh, ambition the japanese kind of uh, the game the first game they reviewed mm. uh, i was like that looks cool man and like i've never heard of that game before uh and but these kind of guys it's like when it's very similar it reminds me of when uh charlie brooker wasn't a big kind of name you catch this show he did and he'd recommend a television show called deadwood or the wire that like for you was just something you'd maybe heard in the background but it was someone telling it in a way that wasn't uh, kind of a stuffy critic recommending you something that is worthy or you should be watching. Um, it just made you want to be able to talk like he is about it with other people. And that was really exciting. And uh, yeah, I watched the first episode back and uh, I super enjoyed it. It was really cool. I don't know anything about the personal history, but no, you feel that in that makes perfect sense. A lot of the jokes in the video. <laughs> I have spent this weekend in uh, the Republic of Ireland. Uh, I went on a short holiday uh, financed by my uh, lovely friends who bought me a a plane ticket uh, for my birthday last year. We went to Dublin for the weekend and I had a bloody lovely time. And earlier this afternoon, I found myself in the Irish Writers Museum, um, which was an eye-opening affair, if you could probably do that museum in about 25 minutes. It's pretty small. But uh, I kind of uh, walked around it and um, I kind of read a bit on the wall and it was quite interesting. And it was about how, whilst under British rule, uh, Irish writers always had something to rail against. They had the fact that they were being uh, occupied, essentially, or, you know, were kind of fighting oppression. And that was a lot of what early writing was about and uh, what drove a lot of the uh, writers and their muses, essentially. But then it said once independence was gained, they railed against something altogether different. And that, more often than not, tended to be the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Which got me thinking, you know what's a great film from a couple of years ago? Calvary. Oh, yes. That's a long way of going around, the fact that well, we both really like that film. And it didn't quite make the uh, the best of list at the end. Um, and I noted this week, it's on all Netflixes. So I thought... Well, that's a fucking good thing. And I've just been to Ireland. It makes perfect sense. It's a film, if you don't know, uh, by uh, John Michael McDonough. Which brother is he? I can't remember. He's the one who did The Guard. Yes. Uh, the Guard is also a very good film. But yeah, he is a film about a priest played by Brendan Gleeson who is taking confession. And uh, a uh, parishioner who uh, makes a confession about being abused as a child uh, by a priest tells him that he's going to kill him at the end of the week. Uh, he's going to shoot him dead on a beach. And uh, he says that he's going to do that because uh, he thinks it would be more effective as a as a kind of uh, an act of violence uh, to kill a good man rather than a bad man. Uh, and the rest of the film is a kind of a darkly comic uh, unfolding 
of uh, trying to figure out who the person is and why they could possibly do it whilst kind of exploring this small community of uh, this kind of uh, remote Irish, uh, well, the remote this remote Irish community. And uh, it's, like I say, bleakly funny, but also just does not pull any punches. Mm. <laughs> and with Spotlight winning in the, uh, the the Oscar last week and me being in Ireland, I thought that would be a good a good shout. Yeah, that, that film is, is great. And like you say, it didn't make our best of the year it came out, but it's a film I think of surprisingly often. Mm-hmm. Because a because it is really funny and certain lines from it will kind of just kind of creep into my mind. I'm very very fond of the fact that the the opening line of it is the parishioner kind of saying what had happened to him and, exp- and describing it in kind of a, kind of a blunt detail, and then Brendan Gleeson going, "Well, that's a hell of an opening line," <laughs> which is uh, which I think is is such a kind of based on you know their other work of the McDonalds is kind of such a great. Um, bit of self-aware humor to open what is a very dark and kind of searching film but also because it's it strikes me as such a unique example of someone making a film that's really entertaining that is really kind of philosophically dense but which also works as this really kind of powerful examination of you know as as kind of a state of the nation sort of film about Ireland's relationship to the Catholic Church and the idea that you know in the wake of these revelations of all these horrible things that were done by the church in ireland and the damage that it's done to generations and the lives it's destroyed um you know can it still offer something good you know is there still something good to faith to believing in things if the institution that carries out did you know kind of abhorrent things um and i think it's just a, a, a miracle that you know a film that features jokes about kind of violent pornography can do that and and it's a film I, I often think of as just this film that i don't think gets enough credit for just kind of what a, a marvelous piece of work it is hmm. so yeah it's on the netflixes so get it watched that's your lot listeners this week thanks for uh for being patient with us um and thanks for everyone who who, who kind of uh, got in touch if you love the show or even if you just liked it or all right with it then please subscribe on itunes find us on facebook twitter all the usual places we'll be back next week uh, with something entirely different so until then it's goodbye from me and goodbye from me and goodbye from me <laughs>